that for you, the podcast celebrating the late bloomers and trailblazers of all walks of life. I'm Kelly. Uh, and I'm Red, drinking a lot of wine right now. What the fuck is that? I did not know you were going to do that. Why are you drinking wine right now? What time is Oh, it's 7 o'clock. Okay. It's a reasonable okay. hour for me to be drinking wine, but I figured our listeners wouldn't quite understand the level of which I am having this wine because, ah, we are in... February. Ah, oh, this is like both my favorite and least favorite time to be reassessing where I stand right now as far as relationships go. Whatever do you mean? Last week wasn't Valentine's Day or anything, Red. <laughs> and by the way, we're recording this way ahead of it, listeners. But tell me what, because you've been doing a lot of fun shit on your Instagram all around <laughs> Toronto. Like you've been going out, you've been having crazy nights. What is the dating scene? What are the plans? Are you doing anything for Valentine's Day? Tell me everything go <laughs> so uh i will say that i could not tell you at this point at this time of the recording what the dating scene is like because i have not been on a date yet Red. um i know i know well i think by that ta- i mean you've been so fucking busy how would you ever have time <laughs> i was about to say like yeah. am i really slacking so no At the time of this recording, I am a full-time student, and I just found out I passed my hair uh, section, which is... Thank you. Um, Hair is not my specialty. Hair is not my anything. Um, I beg to differ. I saw your pictures. They were fire. And now you're going to be like a a bridesmaid wedding for hiring. Yes. Yeah. So... But now that I have training, because before that, I couldn't even braid hair. I think we've talked about this. Yes, yes. And now I'm doing like updos and half do's. And I apparently came up with a new term of a versado. Um, <laughs> and, then, and not only am I doing class, but I'm also a part of the student rep group you had at nothing school. else going on. <laughs> no, not whatsoever. Oh and then God. obviously we have our podcast and I have the Substack and I just found out I am in a pageant. Yes, vote for her. So I think the voting is still going on. So yes. if you go to Susie's Bombshell Boutique, there's a post there that's pinned and if you go to it, go in the comments. My name is there and you can yes. like my name and vote for me. I voted for um, you on like all four of my accounts. <laughs> so everybody vote on your burner account, your your Finsta, your dog's account, like, everything. Yeah, well, thank you. That's very nice of you. It's a very big, long shot for me because, again, I am new to the Canadian pinup scene. This is only my second pageant ever, which I forget if we talked about the first pageant. No, you definitely didn't because tell them what happened real quick. What happened so at that real pageant? quick, um, the weather was awful. So we were kind of forced under this like enclosure where there was a bar and one of the judges um had a little too much and during my question portion of the pageant it's me i'm up there i have a microphone i'm talking very heartfelt and he stood up and projectile vomited um which was quite the shock uh it was not what I was expecting. You're so revolting, Rad, that he just projected. Apparently. Like, I just was like, was it something I said? Like, I'm crying. And then Whoa. the scores got all messed up because they were trying to find a new judge and trying to carry on the pageant. And I'm just standing there, poised, <laughs> but very confused. Because also, my view was a little obscured. So I didn't see the first wave. God. But I got the next one. Oh, um, my God. So, yeah. Oh, my God. So it didn't go great. No, and so it kind of put me off to the experience and doing that. And so 
This one is a little bit of a higher-end one in the sense of this is a big car show that's a weekend car show, and thousands of people go to this, apparently. So much bigger audience, much bigger venue. It's intimidating, but at the same time, I know the pinup community is just a very supportive, inclusive group, so... I get to meet other women. And my only plans for Valentine's Day is I am taking myself to a vintage Valentine's dance out in Port Dover uh, that is happening. But otherwise, I'm not actually dating anybody. I'm not seeing anyone. Now, I say that with a slight caveat because uh, (laughs) Kelly is not too pleased about this. um, He listens to the pod, too. No, he doesn't. I think he does. Or he's very active on our account. At least he's like, yeah, he's very stuff. okay. So, well, if he's listening, know, hi. <laughs> if he is listening, he's been invited on the podcast, but I don't even know if I would call him my ex because when we met, I was already leaving, so we had decided to kind feels, of things more casual. But exy to me, though, because there were definitely feelings, well, there were feelings on my side. I will, oh, okay. We've had a lot of talks, and the thing is, he is the kind of person who goes above and beyond for the people he cares about. Not not only romantically, but also platonically. So that could be a little confusing when Very. you're like, well, what are we? But then we weren't anything. And I was the one saying, no, I'm not going to catch feelings. And mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. I caught them pretty hard. Um, <laughs> and being the one insisting on that. And also, it, it's not fair to ask someone to drop everything he has a very well-established life in the U.S. He has a great couple of friend groups. His family's there. He has a great job. That's also part of his family. Like he works with his family. So mm. to ask him to give all those things up right. for the possibility of a relationship in another country. That's a right. lot. It's asking too much. Right. And it's the same the other way around too. Because yeah. I am loving it up here. I'm really enjoying everything that I'm experiencing. And when we were talking about me coming up here, there was a point where he even said, if you were to ever choose me over your dreams and what you want, I would dump you so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true, though. <laughs> right. Well, it's that's true. the thing. So he's a very supportive person. He's a very kind person. He's an incredibly smart person. And I find him very attractive. You know, it's ticking all the boxes except for, <laughs> you know. <laughs> One kind of big one. Being in other countries kind of puts a damper on things. And there's no fair way to ask for something there. So I care about him a lot. And it's honestly, even though it wasn't quite a typical relationship, knowing there was kind of an end date, he is probably one of the healthiest situationships, I guess, I've ever been in. Yeah, he really was. Yeah, I mean. And is. Still, it is because I, I mean we're still friends. <laughs> we still talk pretty often, and that's the thing. The talk is always very. There's, it's not like romantic, romantic. It's just like you it's know. Platonic? Well, that's the thing. It toes the line because it's kind of flirty and then kind of not, and then like it's like the kind of conversation you'd have with like someone you were in a relationship with for a long time. Where it's like, wow. you're not like, I love you, my darling, and blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. Instead, it's like, your ass look good in that. Thank you. I know, right? Oh, <laughs> You know? That's... And it's like, that's where I'm like, but he's the sort of person that would say that to like one of his guy friends who's like, <laughs> he's like, your ass looks great in that, bro. bro. Like, <laughs> he's very healthy and very like, I would say, open-minded. He's not someone, he's like, oh, so you're polyamorous. Cool. Yeah. You know, right. like he, he'd be like, not for me, but that sounds awesome. 
So he must have loved last week's episode. Shout I out. Know. Well, <laughs> well because also he might listen to all this and be like, what? Uh, I know. Oh, my God. This is what they call the reveal. Like, you're revealing it all. I you know? doubt it. I don't oh, think he listens. Yeah. So, but he's no. very supportive of me doing this. And, you know, uh, mm. I'm sure he says hi. So, Absolutely. again, I, that's also not fair to somebody else as I'm trying to move on from that and trying to figure out, like, dating up here i am thinking about getting back on the apps which also may be the reason why i needed that big slurp of wine at the beginning (laughs) i'm so excited oh my god we should like play around on we should do an instagram live or patreon of you making your app yeah (laughs) it's so much fun i love when people help me make my profiles and stuff like that because i'm definitely that all the time remember you used to look over my photos you used to swipe for me too That was my favorite thing. Like everybody who's in a relationship or married that they live vicariously. This is the way they do it. I'm their number one person too because like. Oh my God. I'm so excited. (laughs) Did you swipe for me in New Orleans? I think you tried to. I think we all did. We were going to put it on the TV, I think, at one point. It was like a fun game. Because we were trying to find someone for me to kiss and then I found one on my own. You found one on your own. Right, 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 right. right. Of course you did. I didn't ever (laughs) doubt it for a second. I just pissed I didn't see it. I know, I know. Right. That was a year ago, Red. That was a year ago now. Holy shit. Oh I God. know. Time And flies. I mean, speaking of love and romance. Ah, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, he's not going to tell me what he's... He has something planned, but not for the actual day, he says. He says it's on the Friday, so the 16th. Because oh. he's cool like that. He doesn't want to give in to prefix menus in corporate capitalistic America. But so, so you guys. <laughs> I know. So I will find out uh, two days after it. But yeah, our first one married. I oh. don't know what he has planned. But yeah, it's very sweet that he took well, the reins. Yeah. So this is coming out after. So you can tell yeah. us what do you have planned for him. Am I supposed to plan? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that what is supposed to happen? I thought it was the guy who was supposed to do something for the girl. No, you should do something sweet for him, oh, too. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, just a frame picture of you guys. Something like it doesn't have to be. Oh, yes, typically the guy can be a bit more, but I think you making some kind of gesture. I'll give is... him flowers. How about that? I used I'll to get... love doing like lingerie is a nice treat for yourself as well as for him. I mean, the more confident you feel in that outfit, the more right. that is going to look sexy and that is going to be a very nice Valentine's is all I'm saying. <laughs> Ooh, are we going to have an after dark episode now, Red? We're just going mean, to get spicy around here. Get ready for the Patreon as I, <laughs> I drink know, more right? wine. <laughs> we're going to get, we're going to turn from a uh, PG to R real quick. We have never <laughs> been PG. Are you fucking kidding not. me? Yeah, we're <laughs> Sorry, from R to X. Yeah. <laughs> that's where we're going to go. Yeah. Okay, that's oh, fair. That's fair. Oh Even God. our sex episode wasn't that No, it sexual. wasn't. Oh, my God. The Halloween episode was more sexual than <laughs> That's really, that's a good point. Maybe we should do another sex episode and let all the, well, on the Patreon, at least. We'll, well let we'll it all see. Fly. We'll see. I mean, I'm feeling <laughs> like a little bit, you know, talking about relationships. They're always so complicated and like, yep. I mean, complicated, but at the end of the day, I feel like you ultimately just care about someone else and you want what's best for them. And sometimes that is thinking I'm the best for them. Why can't they see that? And then other times it's, you know, they deserve better. Or sometimes it's like we are the best with each other. And that's the combination that you want. 
naturally, that means this is the week that I'm going to highlight a, I don't know if you'd say it's an unlikely romantic couple. And I I have to say, Red, this was actually really hard to like find one because a lot of the couples I was going to do like either broke up, divorced, or they may seem unlikely, but they like met one another pre-celebrity. But then I landed on this like very iconic and like very obvious couple that was like right in front of me. And we all know that and many of us love them or at least romanticize them. And I don't know if they're exactly unlikely given like their history, their background, their tendencies. But their life and love story is iconic and has made its way to the silver screen, the small screen. She was just shy of five feet tall, all of 100 pounds, a part-time waitress, and an amateur poet from a poor Dallas home who was bored with life and wanted something more. He was a fast-talking, small-time thief from a similarly destitute Dallas family who hated poverty and wanted to make a name for himself. Fueled by passion, love, and a contempt for authority, together they became the most notorious crime couple in American history. So today, I am profiling the most notorious crime couple in American history, Bonnie and Clyde. Whoa! Okay. <laughs> right? Like, come on. Wow. Okay. I know. I was not, I was like, because here's the thing, listeners, a little peek behind the screen. I'm a big true crime person. What? Um, no. I've never this before. <laughs> but I have been trying to find ways to work true crime into a dopamine-fueled podcast. And that doesn't quite go hand in hand. Kind of is. And it might not be as dopamine infused, but people love it. It's fascinating. All right. Well, let's get into it. I'm so excited to hear this. I know. it's It was so fun learning about them. So Clyde was born in March 24th, 1909 into this poor farming family southeast of Dallas. He was the fifth of seven kids. And then the family moved to West Dallas in the early 1920s. And they spent their first months living under their wagon until they got enough money to buy a tent. So already you can see where they're coming from and the destitutedness mm-hmm. of the times. And he quit school at age 16 and was first arrested in 1926 at age 17, but not for a sexy reason. Police confronted him over a rental car that he had failed to return on time. His second arrest with with his older brother, Buck, who was a very bad influence on him. Forget this. Possession of stolen turkeys. So classic crime. The classic crime. The wobble of the gobble. I don't know. (laughs) So this like notorious crime boss is like arrested for very unsexy rental car and turkey crimes. So he he has some legitimate jobs from 1927 through 1929, but then at this time, he begins cracking safes, robbing stores, stealing cars on the regular, and it was like during this time on January 5th, 1930, when he stops by a friend's house in West Dallas, and he would meet one Bonnie Elizabeth Parker, who yeah. happened to be staying there taking care of a sick friend while she was unemployed two weeks before Clyde was sent to East Ham Prison for auto theft. But Mm. who is Bonnie? Let's rewind a little bit. Bonnie Elizabeth Parker was born October 1st, 1910 in Rowena, Texas, the second of three kids. Her dad was a bricklayer who died when she was four. 
And her widowed mom, Emma, moved her family back to her parents' house in West Dallas, where Emma would work as a seamstress. But in Bonnie's second year in high school, Bonnie meets this guy, Roy Thornton. The couple dropped out of school and they married on September 25th, 1926, six days before her 16th birthday. Wow. They're they're very much in love, supposedly, Red. And their marriage, however, is marred by his frequent physical abuse fueled by his drinking, and he would go absent for weeks, Mm. uh, have brushes with the law, go in and out of the prison system, and their romance proved to be short-lived. They never officially divorced, but their paths never crossed again after January of 1929 Mm. and Parker was still wearing the wedding ring that Thornton had given her when she died. After Bonnie left him, she moved back with her mom and worked as a waitress in Dallas and she keeps this diary in 1929 when she's 18. She writes of her loneliness, her impatience of her life in Dallas, her love of poetry, but I suspect she'd be writing about this very important day in her journals because now we're up to Bonnie and Clyde meeting at her friend's house on January 5th, 1929. 1930 and she's smitten and she knew that the way that his life was going that he was going to die sooner rather than later and she wanted to die right by his side how romantic but again one word for it um you can say crazy or romantic sometimes i mean love is crazy i was about to say isn't that the same thing when it comes to love (laughs) she knew she was like i'm signing up for this i know what i'm getting into again their romance was interrupted when clyde was arrested for auto theft and so this is like a pivotal big event for him so he's 21 he's sent to east ham prison farm which is known as the ham in april of 1930 and this place is an isolated prison and labor camp so many horrors awaited him there Mm. he somehow escaped from the prison farm very shortly after bonnie somehow smuggled a weapon to him love love prevails but he was recaptured shortly after in minnesota and sent back and bonnie and clyde would exchange letters when he was in prison and she would regularly visit him even though he's like 175 miles away so love again but easton was so rough clyde was regularly beaten and abused by the guards who supposedly would routinely shoot and kill convicts to keep the other inmates in line and that was because a lot of them would complain about the labor practices and Clyde was actually sexually assaulted while in prison and he retaliated by attacking and killing his tormentor with a pipe crushing his skull and that was Clyde's first murder and another inmate who was actually serving a life sentence claim responsibility so don't know what Clyde did to deserve that but this guy took the fall but Clyde's fellow inmate Ralph Fultz was also almost beaten to death by the guards and five foot seven Clyde he stands up for him somehow saves his life and said we ought to get a gang out you know together once we're out of here turn everyone loose and kill every single one of these guards and according to author I was John- with them up to a point <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah up to a point a little far because again even if like granted we know like police brutality it's not the first or last time yeah. we'll hear of it but also there's vigilanteism saying like oh we're gonna kill them eye for an eye that sort of thing where to take someone's life is a totally different thing and 
yeah and i get it like trust me as someone who's been through some stuff you do want to kill the person who put you through that but at the end of the day you shouldn't because you shouldn't no i mean but it's also like because then you i can't even imagine hurting someone the same way that i was hurt let alone killing them so carrying around that kind of anger uh doesn't sound good doesn't sound like uh that's gonna end pretty well um no definitely not (laughs) let's keep going yeah so again this is a different flavor for our pod this week but you know varieties of spice of life so according to author john neil phillips Clyde's goal in life now was not to gain fame or fortune from like robbing banks but to seek revenge against the texas prison system for the abuses that he had sustained while serving time so this is a very formative event for him but this Next part is crazy red. So okay. <laughs> to avoid the aforementioned hard labor that they did here at this prison that got him beaten by guards, you know, in the fields, Clyde purposely had two of his toes amputated in late January of 1932, either by another inmate or himself. There's dispute. And so because of this, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. However, here's the even maybe equally crazy part. Without his knowledge, Clyde's mom had already successfully petitioned the governor for his release. <gasps> no. And he was set free six days later crazy can you imagine red now this is where (laughs) you wish technology was a little bit more advanced just slightly just to be like hey check your email real quick before i don't know or they had to have a phone like hey by the way we're getting you out like right they had to have something or a carrier pigeon i don't know the mail like yeah i don't know like maybe there was a miscommunication with the pigeon like it was just like oh you know stay on your toes and it's just like cut off your toes somehow got misconstrued in the wire i don't know like oh god it's just like i found that part was crazy and so he's paroled from Easton on uh, february 2nd 1932 he's now in crutches and now a hardened and bittered criminal and his mm-hmm. sister marie said something awful sure must have happened to him in prison because he wasn't the same person when he got out and his fellow oh. inmate ralph fultz said that he watched clyde change from a schoolboy to a rattlesnake so this kind of this whole place really fucked him up and this is kind of the birth of his vendetta and that was his goal now was to get revenge on these people right. so he's released in 1932 and bonnie and clyde reunited and they would not separate again and he does attempt to his credit to hold real jobs but every time something would happen police would stop by and harass him about crimes that he may be involved in whether he was involved or not because you know we're in the great depression like i said jobs are scarce a quarter of the population is unemployed and the police harassing him would cause alarm obviously from his employers who would then just fire him and replace him in an instant so it just took two weeks for Clyde's half-hearted attempt to go you know straight and narrow which Bonnie she was encouraging him to go to be fair to them but those those attempts were squashed and so now the crime life is the name of the game and we really Mm -hmm. get going with Bonnie and Clyde and the Barrow gang as we know them and the overview like the headline is for two incredible years from 1932 to 1934 Bonnie and Clyde led their notorious gang on a bloody crime wave that stretched across five states they robbed banks, pulled a string of armed robberies, left a bloody trail of murder victims, and in their wake all the while, hundreds of law enforcement personnel from five southwestern states pursued them. The public saw it almost as like a Robin Hood ethic. As yeah, they kind of, that was yeah, definitely yeah. the rhetoric that it's kind of, they've kind of become I'm speaking from future, Yeah, they've become kind of a folklore hero kind of story, which Absolutely. Um, they, which again, 
Uh, that's a bit debatable because, again, some of the crimes, I'm sure you're about to go into it. Yeah, yeah. Not all of them are just these peaceful, we're just going to take the money and Definitely everyone's not. okay. Yeah. Definitely not. No. Because, like, yes, yeah, so the, the Robin Hood of it all was they attacked some of the big institutions like the banks and the public loved it. And Clyde, he saw himself as this modern day Jesse James, but instead of a horse, he uses a car to get away. And to Bonnie and Clyde's credit, they tried to avoid killing innocent victims, but they shot mostly lawmen. And they kidnapped them. But, you know, this is where they, an innocent did not end up uh, surviving. So it's it's March of 1932. Bonnie Clyde and that inmate, Ralph, they begin this plan, that plan that they hatched in prison to run the assault against the prison that they had discussed years earlier. And so they're mm. on the road. But Bonnie and Ralph actually were arrested on April 19th, 1932, while trying to steal guns from a hardware store in Texas. And... Ralph Fultz, he was convicted and served and never rejoined the Barrow Gang. Clyde somehow escapes, and Bonnie spends a few weeks in jail. She's writing poetry, which is cool to read about later, and was soon released when the grand jury failed to indict her. But while Bonnie was in jail, Clyde kept busy with another prison pal named Raymond Hamilton. And this pair decides to rob John Butcher, who's a shopkeeper in Hillsborough, Texas. But the heist did not go as planned. So it's about midnight on April 30th, 1932, and they knock on the door of the store owned by this butcher guy. Clyde just shot him in the back. <gasps> shot him point blank in the back, defenseless. And at that time, Clyde could not turn back because his wife identified them as the two bandits. The butcher's wife like identified them. And even though it was circumstantial evidence, so they could have turned back, Clyde still felt like he was caught. And at that time period, they gave you the electric chair. So he knew mm -hmm. he was facing the death sentence. And so he just kept on at it. He could have turned it back, but he just kept on at it. He doubled down. And so in June 1932, when Bonnie is acquitted and released, she rejoins her lover. But Clyde now has a price on his head. He couldn't wait a couple of weeks because <laughs> That's that's all it was. She was gone for a couple weeks. And now the governor of Texas had a reward for his capture. And he was front page news. And quickly, the headlines go from bad to worse when Clyde and Ray Hamilton are hiding out in Stringtown, Oklahoma, after robbing a packing company payroll. And on the night of August 5th, 1932, they're at a country dance. They're drinking moonshine. It's prohibition. And so these two deputies, a deputy and a sheriff, you know, come up to be like, hey, what, what are you doing? And they kill Deputy Eugene Moore and Jesus. wound Sheriff C.J. Maxwell and escape, stealing and abandoning three cars along the way. So Clyde is now a hunted man, if ever there were one. Right. <laughs> and so, Understandably so, and honestly, yeah. justifiably so. Justifiably so. Just just shooting people left and right. Again, like, he tried to, aside from that first guy, he's, he's trying to not hurt any innocents, and he's killing lawmen or people who attack him in jail. Right, but I yeah. do have to say, as much as we know the system is crooked, especially back then, like, yeah. the fact that we see, or at least in his view seeing it as black and white of okay well if you're a lawman you're clearly someone I don't know why I keep doing this voice um, <laughs> I was gonna say I love it but, though. but to see them as like oh if you are on the side of the law you are a person worth killing and right, that, right. They're there's a problem too. with that like there are innocents yeah. within that now I'm saying is everybody innocent there no, no. god no but does anybody in any of these scenarios deserve what is happening 
Except for the guy who beat him in prison, maybe. <laughs> that is yeah. debatable. That is very yeah. debatable. Debatable. Um, yeah. Because again, the legend of them is so fascinating, and this relationship too, where it's like there's a term for like people who I, I think it's called like combined craziness it's like a fully ado and it's like you kind of bring out this if you were two separate people you probably wouldn't be so crazy and i'm using the term crazy like as in like you know these because otherwise you are a perfectly sane person making capable decisions but then you get right. with the right person and it just cranks things up in a way and it sounds like there are times with the two of them that they just seem to bring that out in each other oh yeah which some Absolutely. people say is very passionate and other people say that's gonna be bad um, yeah <laughs> are not wrong and i mean kind of jumping on that like bonnie and clyde they're surviving 22 more months after the these Stringtown murders but life on the run is far from glamorous right though, you know there's passion it's they're camping out they're living in like third-rate tourist camps and they're paying bribes in some cases for people to hide them when they needed money What are they going to do? They perform more robberies to get it. And for the families of Bonnie and Clyde, these were such tough times. And the two outlaws tried to keep in touch with their concerned relatives. Clyde would actually put a note in like a cola bottle and toss the bottle from the car as he passed by his dad's filling station. And so his dad would retrieve the bottle and they would set a rendezvous and food and clothing was exchanged. So they tried to keep in touch with their family. But very tough times because their family was you know this is the life that chose them sort of and they loved them regardless sure they weren't thrilled about it but they still wanted to be in touch with their kids but by this time the borrow gang had already established a huge reputation of dubious distinction in the southwest and the path to infamy began in late march of 1933 when his brother, Clyde's brother Buck, was released from prison. And Buck and his wife Blanche had made arrangements to rendezvous with Bonnie and Clyde. And he was actually going to try to, trying to be on the straight and narrow again. But that lasted very, very short-lived. And so it was all for like two weeks that the two couples lived quietly in their apartment in Joplin, Missouri. And W.D. Jones, he's a childhood neighbor and accomplice of Clyde's. He's also with the group. But by April of 1933, money's running low. And Clyde and W.D. Jones had just come back from a trip, casing places to burglarize, and Buck had met him at the door, at the garage door. And Buck was just closing the garage door when the police drove up, and Buck was like, it's the law. And suspicious neighbors had told the police that bootleggers might be hiding in the apartment. And so, Detective Wes Harriman and Constable Harry McGinnis, they go to the front door. They had no idea who they were confronting. And and Clyde and W.D. Jones, they grab their shotguns and they kill the first two that show up at the door. And with that, Bonnie grabs an automatic rifle, fires out the kitchen window, gunfires just everywhere. Buck is firing. Police were firing. Deputy Jones was hit in the head. Blood's everywhere. Bonnie's running out down the stairs. Blanche, who is Buck's wife, runs into the street. Clyde manages to get everybody but Blanche into a car in the garage, flung the doors open, firing shotguns, rifles. They roared out of the garage 
into the street, leaving a dead policeman behind them and others were firing after them. So this is just one of the many times that they escape justice. But a roll of film that the group left behind produced these indelible images of the gang and they're awesome. They're kind of epic. The newspapers printed them everywhere and the public so interested and so fascinated by it. They wanted more of this gang story. Just their interests were piqued. So the gang's fate's kind of sealed by this this heinous crime. You know, any any intention that was short-lived to go straight was definitely finished now. Um, and so the beginning of the end takes place in Wellington, Texas on June 8th, 1933, when Bonnie is seriously injured, she and Clyde and W.D. Jones are driving out near Wellington, Texas to meet Buck and Blanche, and they were crossing the Red River, and they were unaware that a bridge was out, and they went off the road into the dry riverbed, and the car tumbled a few times and caught on fire, and Bonnie was burned in the fire there. Her leg was burned to the bone on her calf of her leg, oh. and she walked with a limp. From then on, she never got over Wait, it. Wait, do they have matching limps? Isn't that kind of cute but sad? <laughs> they have matching limps. If it were any other circumstance in which yeah. they got them, I'd say maybe it's cute. But this yeah. doesn't sound like no, it's cute. No, not yeah. cute at all. But matching. some people get matching tattoos and they have matching limps. <laughs> yep. Teach their own. So Bonnie Clyde, WD, they go to Fort Smith, Arkansas. They flee. They meet up with Blanche and Buck. And despite Bonnie's injuries, they keep on the move. Clyde's driving was really what kept them alive. Like, he could be baby driver. <laughs> he really is a great getaway driver. And that's really what kept them alive for the two years that they made their names in infamy. And he thought nothing of driving a thousand miles in one stretch. Like, with these two new way radios and stuff, like, Clyde knew he could escape criminal prosecution by crossing state lines. But finally, in July 1933, the gang settles down in the Red Crown Tourist Camp in Platte City, Missouri. And the law, though, had been tipped off. The gang was there. And soon the boroughs are completely surrounded. Overpowering force. But still, I love this part. Being polite gentlemen, the police go up to the cabin door and knock and asking who's there. And, and Blanche says, you know, I'm not dressed. Just wait a moment. Well, of course, Buck and Clyde and, and WD are arming themselves to the teeth mm-hmm. and commence blazing away taking the policeman totally by surprise they hit the horn of the armored car that's there set it off roaring through the night all the officers thought it was a signal so they rushed forward and exposed themselves causing utter confusion they all got in the car which was soon engulfed in fire from the officers the windows are shattered Blanche got shards of glass in her eyes Buck takes a bullet through the brain you know yeah fell mortally wounded in the car Clyde machine gun in one hand driving like a demon went through the police lines and they still made it away they made it away but now buck's gone but he's not quite yet because i feel like the days it was a few days later because i'm reading on july 20th the gang arrives at an abandoned amusement park near dexter iowa but after four days police discovered the hideout and moved in on them and bonnie clyde and wd escape but critically injured buck and blanche surrender he had a bullet to the head i know but he dies 10 days later july 30th 1933 yeah yeah i know how did he survive for 10 more days that's crazy i'm in shock about that because also it's like you know we're also still in again the great depression now um so what 1930 what'd you say well we're in 1933 yeah 1933 i mean i'm not a gun person as you know no me either but i can say with a lot of confidence that the weapons back then are not great especially when you get an injury from one 
to the head. Yep. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Like it it went through the brain in one temple and out the other. Yeah. Both temples. But he just was mortally wounded but not dead yet. So he's I don't know how that one temple I out the other. I wonder too if he was like able to function like in the sense of like could he talk? Probably not. But right, could it, he yeah. like <laughs> How did he, he not probably- bleed out like, internally that and, quickly? Or at least <laughs> not within 10 days like that yeah. that's crazy to think about that like all of this too i know we're gonna eventually come to yeah we're almost at the end <laughs> right with the folklore yeah. of it all afterwards but i mean just listening to this and knowing this is like history this actually happened these are two people yeah. who are outlaws committing all these crimes and fiery shootouts and all these other things and yeah. it's yeah <laughs> it's just kind of crazy to think like oh right this actually happened yeah i it's hard to imagine i mean it really is i haven't watched nearly enough of my share bonnie and clyde content because oh because the real thing is to like how can you ever live up to it you know what i mean the folklore just like you'll never right. live up to it in a movie or a show you gotta okay. see like a documentary what, how many yeah. producers and directors do you think would say to you nah 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 don't write that the brother survives getting hit in the head and like yeah. lives for 10 more days who's gonna believe that exactly. and it's like exactly like what? Like, that's, that's so unbelievable. I think that's the craziest part of this. Well, also <laughs> Clyde amputating two toes. Uh, let, let's finish out the or burning out the leg down to the bone. Oh, and now yeah. they have matching limbs. Like uh, there's so many things that are what? unbelievable. What are the characters and now they're, like, they're in this am- abandoned amusement park. It's just like very apocalyptic. Um, like walking <laughs> Zombieland may have stolen. Very Zombieland. <laughs> yeah, right. Literally. My God. And so. Buck's dead. Blanche is sent to jail. Spends 10 years in prison. W.D. Jones leaves Bonnie and Clyde. So it's just down to our our lovers. And shortly after, the police apprehended W.D. And after his capture, in order to receive a later sentence, Jones renounced his fellow outlaws and claimed he was an unwilling participant. But uh, Bonnie and Clyde then continue to make headlines red. So we're, we're getting near the end, though. On January 16th, 1934, Clyde kept his promise to Raymond Hamilton and Ralph Fultz and fulfilled his dream. He masterminded a daring breakout at Easton Prison Farm. Remember that that full circle? Oh. And Clyde, he enlists the help of Raymond Hamilton's brother Floyd. And so Floyd's an accomplice. He hides the guns. They were planted on this wood pile, which was the wood pile that Clyde's fellow inmate Ralph Fultz was pistol whipped on years earlier. And one of this, these convicts, his name is Joe Palmer, retrieves the guns. The convicts went out on the fields to work. Joe Palmer, he had two guns. He slips one to Raymond Hamilton and he knows that Clyde's parked near the field. And indeed, he was there and Bonnie waited behind the the wheel. So Clyde went down in this little gully near where these workers were going to work with his favorite, these automatic rifles, and they waited. And around 7 a.m., gunfire erupted. One guard was killed. The three remaining guards run for cover. Bonnie's blowing the horn. It's so foggy, so they know where the car is. They all run up to the car, and Clyde gets behind the wheel, and here comes the four escaping prisoners. They dive in. Hamilton and four other prisoners escaped, and one of the escapees, this is very important, his name was Henry Maithman, and helping him would prove to be a critical mistake for Bonnie oh. and Clyde. But it's cool that they did what they set out to do, I guess, and only killed one, you know, one one guard. 
So, you know, could have been worse. But then they also got people out. So, yay, question marks. <laughs> Lots of question marks. Lots of question marks. But so after <laughs> a series of murders and bank jobs, Bonnie and Clyde are boldly keeping a rendezvous with some of their henchmen near Grapevine, Texas. And a couple of Texas Highway Patrolmen from this newly created Texas Highway Patrol came along on their motorcycles. And the end result was two dead Highway Patrolmen. And this atrocious murder sealed the doom of Bonnie and Clyde because every peace officer in the entire Southwest became so enraged over the killing of their own that they pledged themselves to sleepless days and nights in the search for this murdering duo. Hundreds of law enforcement personnel desperately wanted to catch them and put an end to their reign of terror. And the most famous was a man by, he's a Texas Ranger named Frank Hamer. And it took him 102 days to finally track down Bonnie and Clyde. And what he did, he fell back on his early ranger training and set out as sort of a lone wolf, like just himself, to learn as much as he could about them and their habits. And he virtually tracks them down single-handedly. And May 23rd, 1934, an unsuspecting Bonnie and Clyde, they're driving down a country road near Arcata, Louisiana, close to Henry Maven's father's home. So that's the convict that they helped escape Eastern Prison. So Texas Rangers and sheriffs await them. It's a very carefully planned ambush because Henry Maiden's father had betrayed the pair in exchange for amnesty for his son. So for three days and nights, the officers lay in wait on this road. And Frank Hamer suspects that the criminals would seek the protection of this Maven family home. And returning to Dallas was not out of question. They had previously sought Bonnie Clyde refuge at this Maven farm. And the officers commandeered old man Maven's truck and jacked it up. Clyde slows down to help his friend's father. And the inevitable end was retribution over 100 gunshots into the car Jesus Bonnie Christ. and Clyde died as they live by the gun Bonnie was leaning against Clyde Clyde's this master gunman seldom did anyone ever live when he got the first shot and Dallas deputies Bob Alcorn and Ted Hinton who participated in the ambush later spoke about the event Bob said each and every officer present at the time of the capture deserves the same credit as we all did our best I regret that we couldn't have couldn't have taken them alive but that was impossible i further regret that there was a woman that had to be killed which couldn't have been helped there's not much to say now it's all over the ends of law and justice has been served so a hundred plus shots the car corner of that car my god it's it's there's a crazy a term scene. called overkill overkill just, much yes but also again i'm talking about like don't know much about guns but i don't believe there was as much accuracy yeah. to guns back then as there is like today especially like today people have like literal scopes and things like that so yeah. i understand that maybe they wanted to be sure of this however a yeah. yeah. hundred shots into the car seems a little huh. overkill oh yeah. my god so it's kind of ironic when you think about it that Clyde kind of set on this life of crime to get back at this prison and do this great prison breakout they get out this convict and then it ends up being their downfall because the father of that convict is the one that sells them out right <laughs> it's just so funny how it full circle that was their downfall so revenge you know it, the law had the ultimate revenge I guess what's interesting about 
about also this relationship too. I mean, bringing it back to all that. Like a lot of the times the way it's portrayed in media is that it's this big, fiery, passionate relationship where they can't live without one another. And you've got like so many media versions of this. I mean, if you haven't seen the Faye Dunaway. Yeah, um, iconic. Oh my God. Well, because the thing too was those photos of the two of them were very iconic style-wise for that era. I mean, the replications that people do just to emulate that kind of style that was going on, which is crazy to think like, okay, we have literal outlaws and yet people are dressing like them. They're influencing all these different people before there were even influencers. Like you had to- Yeah. You (laughs) had to go and buy a newspaper or find a way to see this. And yet people did because- Although, yes, their their crimes are not at all romantic. They are not. No. They're bloody. They're disturbing. They're, yet people have romanticized this story so much because of the yeah. fact that it's these two very young, relatively attractive. They're kind of adorable in the pictures of, from that camera roll. <laughs> right. So it's but- hard to marry those two. The images you're seeing of like these two passionately kissing out with their car and like doing these kind of silly poses together to the fact that they were real criminals and real. They killed people. They yeah. And sometimes you kind of wonder is like the true end game love. Is it between the two of them or was it between Clyde and his need to get revenge? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Count of Monte Cristo, 1920s right. version, I guess. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. It really was. But to put a pin on it, to your point, they were huge celebrities. Like, scores of people rushed to the small Louisiana town that they were killed in, hoping to catch a glimpse of the dead outlaws. It was absolute pandemonium. And apparently, people tried to do everything to get to them, like cut ears off, like to get pieces of them. Or I think Clyde, not of her. But that's crazy. I don't know if that's true but that's something i read that uh, is actually something that i have heard a lot about oh, in especially God. period um crimes and things like that people would just come to the homes where a murder occurred and just take things from the home or jesus pickpocket from corpses and things like that and cut ears hang- off <laughs> listen public hangings used to be like the thing to do yeah like, let's it's go a good watch point. someone and again people are always like really you're into true crime like that whole new <laughs> wave of entertainment i'm like first off not entertainment second no. off you think this is the first time in history people have been fascinated by stories like this yeah seriously it was more sensationalized it was everybody was in love with them with the coverage they got in the pictures but so how old were they when they died too they were i want to say she was like 23 and he was like 25 wow very young young very young and and so there were separate funerals and it was sad they wanted to be buried together but they weren't allowed to be so separate grave sites for the lovers who had been inseparable in life and thousands attended the homecoming of Clyde in this Dallas funeral home never ending line of men women children every walk of life came to catch a glimpse of this criminal this celebrity and then another at another funeral home in Dallas three miles away was Bonnie and I guess for her the crowd was even larger because there had never been a woman outlaw as notorious as her she was the only woman ever to be shot down by officers uh of the law and dead at capture 
But her burial was attended only by close friends and relatives, which was around like 150 people, which is still a lot. Um, so Clyde, you know, Clyde's mom and dad paid their respects to her. Um, and uh, it was it was sad, though, that they couldn't be buried together. It wasn't allowed. But I want to end with this because Bonnie accurately predicted what would become of her and Clyde in a poem she had penned before their deaths. Whoa. And this is a very poignant line from a poem uh, titled The Trails End that she wrote. They don't think they're too smart or desperate. They know that the law always wins. They've been shot at before, but they do not ignore that death is the wages of sin. Someday they'll go down together. They'll bury them side by side. To few, it'll be grief. To the law, a relief. But it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. So... I don't know if we want to say we love this for them, but we we love their commitment to each other, Rich. Well, <laughs> I'll say, I will say, so from this, it, it became almost a type of Romeo and Juliet. Granted, yes. again, very, because there was like a fictionalized version that was told to people where it's these people who are going the great depression is going on everybody is frustrated with how the system is set up people are struggling and here are two people through very violent memes taking it into their own hands now again i don't think it was also as publicized about like i think there were newspapers saying like oh like they've killed these people but i think other ones were trying to put the like make it almost more of a story because that would sell more papers yeah and absolutely because like also like i'm looking at a headline of when they died and it literally says outlaw barrow and woman slain as speeding auto runs into ambush like it makes <laughs> them the center of the story it's not about and we've and the police apprehended and two were shot and killed no it's like oh it's this man and the woman who were slain and yep. they ran into an ambush like it yep. seems as though this the way that it's written is almost like oh they shouldn't have been the ones killed they they were yeah. ambushed how dare this happen to yes, them 100% and so you have all these people who are on their side and yet the story is kind of it's like if Batman was real and poor, because like he doesn't have the ability, he he had this horrible thing happen where yes, through his own doing, he went to prison, but that does not mean he should have been abused, he shouldn't have been assaulted, he shouldn't have been any of those things. And for that to be encouraged by the police officers is wrong. And also not knowing how else to deal with that other than to do this, it kind of shows the desperation that they felt. Now, I'm not saying it's justified. What I am saying is that I feel like a lot of people related to this in a way, and therefore their folklore, their legend kind of built from that. Like you hear all the time about how, oh, this person or this couple was a modern day Bonnie and Clyde. And like, yeah. it's like, it's our vernacular now because of these people. Yeah. So we don't love what, what they actually did. What we did. do love though, is what it spurred the idea of and the creativity of the these ride or of, die. Yeah. Liter <laughs> ride or, literal ride or die. Ride or die. Or actually ride and die in this case. Ride and die. Yeah. It's fucked That's up. Love. But yeah. lo I think that goes to say, like, it also helps us realize, like, what is healthy and what is unhealthy. What is and what is romanticized may not necessarily be, you know, I personally take a lot of 
issue with like how romantic a lot of the romantic stories we know often result in at least one of the people dying. Like Romeo yeah. and Juliet, West Side Story, right? Titanic. Sorry, I'm spoiling a ton of shit for you yeah. guys. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying. Spoiler alert. A lot of times mm. they don't have this, oh, and these young people then go on to grow old and die together. And I think sometimes there is some beautiful, tragic story to that. But then there's also the romance of, oh, hey, like, you don't have to go and do this. I wish you would have been like someone who could have helped him with his trauma and all that. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And they're 20-something-year-old, like early 20-somethings. Yeah. Again, this idea of romanticizing outlaws or criminal, like Anna Delvey. Do you, you remember that? The whole Anna Delvey thing. And now it's, who's that? Uh, the one who just got released for killing her mom. Gypsy. What? Gypsy Rose. Gypsy. Yeah. It's just like, it's such a, like a genre now and, and then all this true crime well, stuff. There's also very complicated scenarios in both of those because like she committed crimes of very bad ones, but also she didn't kill anybody. Right. But at the same time, she destroyed lives with them. Right. devastation from the financial stuff she did yeah and then gypsy was a very complicated situation of you yeah. know mong chosen by proxy so yeah. there's complications to all these scenarios but if we look at it from a black and white romantic kind of view so it's all to say <laughs> happy valentine's day happy valentine's belated day. valentine's day right but yeah. i think it's also like i think it's a good opportunity for us to kind of reassess and what is romantic or passion for each of us like what do you think that is what how do you define those things um, do you have some would you rather i we love do this? actually like what oh, is good. romance so I have a few questions for you. Speaking of romance more in the modern day. Yes. So basically, these are some romance, do we love this or that? Please. What we would prefer. So again, in more modern days with people that we consider more healthy, um, not going to rob a bank or, <laughs> or kill you know. somebody. Right. <laughs> so I have a few of these, but Kelly, do yes. we love sending playful messages through text throughout the day or to talk on the phone late at night. I know it's tough for you because you live with him, so I it's kind of like... <laughs> I feel like we, well, we're always, even when we were courting one another, I think mm. we were always like uh, through like Gchat and Instagram memes and text. So yeah, I think that's kind of the millennial in me. I think I'm just much more of a, yeah, like a, I have time to craft my responses and send like, you know, gifts or memes. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go the text throughout the day, but I have a feeling your answer is the second one. No, actually I oh. much prefer, I, well, you know this, I am a yeah. meme queen. Um, yes, you are. <laughs> I love sending, because for me, it's not necessarily about like, I do have some late night conversations, as you know. Yeah. So I know that's why you were <laughs> thinking that. Yeah. Um, which is, again, very confusing for me because that's also like a kind of romantic thing. But then what we're talking about is so not romantic. No. Just like, <laughs> how was your day? Well, Caboose decided to shit over, you know, like <laughs> not romantic at all. But no. I like more of that sending the playful messages or I saw this and I thought of you or, oh, my God, can you believe this? Like that to me is more meaningful and romantic than yeah. talking late. And I also because like I have shit to do. 
I can't yeah. be talking on the phone. Good point, actually. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I've had to, you know, train the boomers that we don't talk on the phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's just uh, get that down in writing, everyone. Millennials and Gen Z, we're not phone people. We're yeah. texters. <laughs> we, like, do not come to our doors and ring the doorbell yes. and do not call us. <laughs> do not call. Do not email. Or, no, I guess email. But do not ring the doorbell. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's this terrifying. could have been an email, so don't have a meeting with us instead. Yes. <laughs> So, at dinner, like at the dinner table, do we love a flirty wink or plain footsie? Oh. Oh, wow. Fun. Um, I guess. Well, here's the thing. Footsie would lead to, like, you know, him thinking he's getting laid tonight. So, I'm going to say wink. (laughs) (laughs) Just because in my mind, that just, like, takes it to, like, oh, okay, you're in the mood, eh? But, like, a wink can just be like, oh, you know, I'm I'm feeling playful. You know what I mean? Is that crazy? Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, it's I think crazy. a wink is like just a little more innocent. Footsie's like, oh hey, you want to go in the other room? <laughs> I, mean, you know I mean, it could yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. Um, my problem is that I am the sort of person who, um, when I'm walking around, like in the house, I typically wear socks, and so I could be playing footsie with the table for about ten <laughs> minutes before realizing I'm not actually touching my partner or even worse i have a big family oh yep yes you Uh, do how am i sure (laughs) that the foot i am playing footsie with is indeed my partner's when there's a big table so i am always going for the flirty (laughs) wink i am the sort of person that i've always wanted to do the dirty text when you're at the like at a place where they can't do anything about it so you just send that and you just leave them and you get to sit across and then you send them that wink oh spicy and they're just like you in the words of sean motherfucker <laughs> wait maybe i'll try that with sean, Do that with sean. Our, well i guess it's two days after valentine's day and it had already it's already happened so i'll let you guys know in march <laughs> what happened on valentine's day but maybe exactly I'll try that. Yeah, yeah yeah now i already know the answer to this one okay <laughs> but do we love slow dancing or singing a duet I mean, yes, obviously, you know. I What's my like answer, I, Red? What's yeah, my answer? I'm going to do it for Of course, you. of course. I, that's how Sean and I kind of courted each other with Friday I'm in Love. And by the way, I don't know if you guys have heard, but I'm in a karaoke league and I'll be singing a duet tomorrow. Hello? Just saying with Kelly. You guys know Kelly. We're on the same team again. What's the so song? We're going to do, I know it's kind of like people make fun of it now because it was of that like hey ho era, but we're doing Home by Edward Sharp because that's, I'm really good at it. Um, um, you know, like, nice. oh, home, let me come home. And it's a duet with, you know, Jade and Alexander. So I'm going to duet with her tomorrow. But yes, to answer your question, I am the duet queen. And I think you are too. Or no, are you the first? I'm the first. I prefer. Well, because Slow you dance. Mm hmm. Really? Yeah. Wow. I love a good. Well, because also I don't get to do it that often, to be honest. Oh, I mean, okay. I mean, not just like because I'm single, but because also uh, I. So this is a little bit of a cute story. My parents used to dance in the kitchen all the time together. A lot of times more bopping around, you know, more of like upbeat music. But every once in a while, they would just do like a little like slow dance. And I always thought that was so romantic. And 
yeah, singing a duet is okay. I'm not a good singer like you, so uh, I get a little bit more self-conscious about that. But Enough drinks in you and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. But I think there's something very romantic and intimate about being held by somebody in a way and just listening to the music and just kind of, it makes that own like personal little space, like a little bubble. Whereas I think when you sing a duet, that's literally projecting outward, whereas a slow dance together is kind of pulling it inward. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I don't ever... Honestly, I think the wedding was the last slow dance. So you're just giving me all these sorts of ideas of what to See, do. I'm for real to help. Day, and also, Red. our listeners, this is helping you yes. guys too to think Ooh. of things to do. So, Even though um, it's a week too late, it's okay. You can still do it. <laughs> Valentine's Day doesn't have to be on Valentine's Day, everyone. Hey, romance doesn't be have anything. to be yeah. one time a year. You could do this yes. all year. Exactly. Um, so do we love a piece of jewelry or a room makeover for an anniversary? Oh, shit. You know, I spent so much time at home that I think it'd have to be room makeover. You know, I do love a good piece of jewelry, but I have spent so much time here that I'd rather see it. You know, I see it every day in and out. And a piece of jewelry you do too, but my abode that I live in affects my mood. I think, yeah, it has to be. Is it because we're women in our 30s that the room makeover just sounds like <laughs> so, like, Absolutely. oh my God. <laughs> it's an orgasmic. Like, I think in my 20s, jewelry for sure. But because, I you know, I work from home and I spend most of my time at home these days I want yeah I always am looking at like how can I make this room better <laughs> as a constant yeah. nomad just having a room that's yeah. gorgeous <laughs> yeah that's a good point <laughs> so when it comes to this is a little bit of a spicy one. Oh, and I mean you could say this is a bedroom question or you could say just in general I mean, maybe going out to eat, that sort of thing. So do we love sticking with what's tried and true with a lover or do we love trying something new? Definitely trying something new because yeah. isn't that the secret to supposedly a good marriage or a relationship? I mean, I got the, this. There's the terms <laughs> yeah. spice things up, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, you got it. It's a spice of life. And like I got this um, adventure challenge book with like, you know, to, like it's a scratch off, I guess. And like mm-hmm. you just scratch it off with like a coin to see what the adventure is and then take a Polaroid of it. So that's something I've been uh, encouraging us to do just to like do new adventures together and try new like one new thing a week is like my goal this year um so i think yeah in a relationship that's so important because it's so easy to get in a routine and i just you know variety red spice of life exactly yeah i feel like i want to get to a point where what's tried and true because well because i'm so i don't have a set routine so everything is something Uh, new Right. So yes. I think for me, I'd like to get to a point where it's like, oh, this is the tried and true. Oh, good point. That to me would be because it's always new. It's always exciting. Like, which again, because it's always that it becomes then the tried and true. Good point. So by having more of the routine, I guess. I love that. that. I, that's so weird. <laughs> like it's backwards for me. No, but I'm trying to be more chaotic and you're trying to be more stable. We've said this. Yeah. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, I'll do one quick one. Um, okay. So do we love reading a romantic story together or writing your own love story? Writing my own love story. Because I yeah. am a, a romantic and I'm a writer and that is how life stays interesting because otherwise I'm just waiting to die. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Same. I mean, as much as I actually think it's very romantic to like read to each other, I think writing a story with someone and writing our own love story 
I think that's the one I'm really excited for. Aww. And you guys should be writing your own love stories, too. And we love you, oh, listeners. We love you guys. <laughs> Follow, like, subscribe. You know that. I yell at you every week about it. Thank you. Thank you. And follow the Facebook page. And, yeah, we love you. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on I Love That For You. Our theme song is by Vaudeville and used with permission. Our cover art is by Jenny Lamb, edited to the best of our abilities by Kelly and Red. If you want us to spotlight someone, have questions, or just want to say hi, email us at ilovethatforyoupod at gmail.com or join us on Instagram at ilovethatforyoupod to join the love fest and see what else we get up to. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever else you listen. We appreciate all your love, and if you want to help support the show, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. This helps us spread the love and reach more people. Thanks for listening. We love you.